Do you know what the date is today? Or what the date was of a record that you're looking at for one of your ancestors? If you're not familiar with the changes through history to the calendar, you might be recording incorrect dates in your family tree. Well, I've got just the person on today's show who can help us understand the history of the calendars through time and how they affect our understanding of genealogical records. Today, I am welcoming back Marjorie Bell, Assistant Director of the Regional Family History Center in Oakland, California. And Marjorie's going to answer the question for us, does the changing historical calendar really affect our research? really affects our research a lot. And... Um... And I have found even where uh, people who were doing fairly good genealogical research but didn't know about the calendar change have made a terrible mess of their records. Well, I don't know, a terrible mess, but a mess of their records yeah. because of that. Um, I ran into it just last year. I, had, I found a family history on one of my family lines that was excellent. I mean, it's really well done yeah. and completely documented from Providence, Rhode Island records. But... Not knowing the calendar change, every single birth date prior to 1752 was incorrect oh, because Providence, Rhode Island kept their records by the number of the month. And since they said, you know, the third day of the sixth month of 1685, um, if you count the sixth month as June, you've just made a mistake because, you know. So that, it's almost that, like a bad translation. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, Marjorie's going to help us properly translate those dates and really get a good understanding of how the calendar has changed over the years and what we are really looking at when we are looking at the date on the record of one of our ancestors. And that is coming up next. Marjorie Bell is an expert in the field of genealogy. She's the assistant director of the Oakland Regional Family History Center, teaches genealogy classes, and speaks at family history conferences. She's also the author of Line Upon Line, A Beginner's Guide to Genealogy. In this first segment, we're going to get started delving into the history of the changing calendar. Marjorie, I guess whether we know it or not, something very significant happened just over 250 years ago that really does affect all of our research. Why don't you tell us what that important event was? Well, that was the, te- the calendar change in, uh, in this country in 1752. And that was a, a calendar change from the Julian to the Gregorian calendar. And I know for many of us, we've kind of maybe heard a little snippet about this, but maybe haven't really investigated it because we didn't think we were going back that far yet in our research. But as you've told me before, you know, this can really affect everybody's research. So I would love to have you really bring us up to speed and educate us on what does all this calendar change mean? It it started happening in about 1582 when uh, Pope Gregory was the Catholic Pope and uh, various scientists came to him and explained to him that there was a problem with the calendar, um, that gradually the, the vernal equinox wasn't coming on the right day. I mean, it was, uh-huh. everything was kind of sliding. The center of summer and the center of winter were sliding because the calendar was somewhat incorrect. And at that point, it was incorrect by 10 days. 
at that time also we were using what's called the Julian calendar. And the first day of the new year was the 25th day of March. And we think, what on earth? I mean, that was <laughs> January 1st. Isn't that always New Year's Day? No, it was not. It was Ladies' Day, the 25th of March. And if you accept, uh, as I understand it, and I'm not sure that this is gospel doctrine, but as I understand it, if you think that Jesus was born on December 25th, then the day that Mary got pregnant nine months earlier was the 25th day of March. And so it was called Ladies' Day, and that was the first day of the new year. So that means the second month was April. March was the first month. April was the second month. It explains a lot. It explains September, S-E-P-T, standing for seven, being the seventh month. October, the eighth month. November, N-O-V, the ninth month, and D-E-C, which we know stands for 10, being the 10th month. So so the calendar changes in the four Catholic countries at that time, in 1582, Spain, Portugal, Italy, and Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. And that's because this was coming out of the office of the Pope, Of right? the Pope, so okay. it's Catholic, yes. So the rest of the world, which says, I'm not going to do what the Catholics do, um, wouldn't change the calendar. But gradually, over time, um, they realized everybody had a problem. And so the calendar began changing. And it changed in various countries, various years, over the next two centuries. Actually, even longer than that, I understand Greece didn't change until 1923. So you've got a huge discrepancy going on in how people are calendaring. For those of us in America, we were British, remember? Right. Um, I mean, from, from the time we were discovered until 1776, we're British Empire. So when Great Britain changed the calendar in 1752, it became necessary for America to also change their calendar. But it affected us long before that because we were always a nation made up of people from many different countries. So we had Germans and Swedes and Italians building this nation. And so they, some of them came to us from countries that had already changed their calendar. So what do we do in America? And what we did was double dating. Double dating. And this isn't uh, two couples getting together going to the movies. This was... <laughs> This was, you know, almost a, a genealogist nightmare in that it was two sets of dates that were supposed to represent the same thing, right? Yes, and most of us who, as we began collecting our genealogy and we would come to a date that says something like the 3rd of February, 1685-6, and we'd go, oh my goodness, how did they know that that person was born on the 3rd of February, but not know if it was in 1685 or 1686. Yeah. And in fact, they knew exactly what they were saying was you, the person was born on the 3rd of February, 1685, if you have not changed your calendar yet, because it's not the 25th day of March, or 1686 if you changed your calendar on January 1st. So this was really a unique problem for um, those coming to America because, as you said, they were coming from so many different places. We literally had different communities using different calendars at a certain point, didn't we? 
Well, uh, you know, I haven't seen much where you'd say, well, this community used this and that community used that, although that probably would, would have been true. Um, but certainly in our church records, in our civil records, we simply adopted a, a method of designating whether we were doing old style or new style. And in fact, in many of our records, it will say, you know, third uh, of uh, January, 1689, old style. And then you know they haven't yet changed their calendar. Or they will say OS, or it'll say NS, meaning new style. So they're going by the new calendar. Even more frequently, you'll find the double dating. So it'll say 1680 slash 1. Wow. And, uh, and that can throw you off if you're a genealogist. The other thing that can throw you off if you don't know that this happened is it looks like people had their will probated before they died or oh. that they had a baby before they got married. Let's say you got married in March of 1725. Then you had a baby 10 months later and you're in, I don't know, I'd have to calculate it, but January or February of 1725. You're still in the same year. And so you have to start thinking March is number one. March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, and so on. And you get your December, January, February, and then you get to your new year. But not even then until March 25th. So you might have a baby March 1st of the same year when you got married March 30th. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. Now, did the have the names of the months always been the same? Is it just the counting of the months that has changed? Counting of the months that changed. Okay. Right. So we kept the same month, but, but the same month names, but we threw it off. So we think October, and, and any Latin scholar would tell you that's the eighth month. That must be the eighth month. Oct, O-C-T is eight, and we know it's the tenth month. This doesn't make any sense at all. Interesting. So some of these, the, the terms that are used for those months, those names actually originated from the old calendar. Sure. Would you like to boost your genealogy research and break through those brick walls? Well, here's your answer. Become a Genealogy Gems Premium Member. You'll get two extra members-only episodes every month packed with great tips that you can use right away and instructional videos walking you through the best internet tools step-by-step. In the current series called Google, a goldmine of genealogy gems, I'll show you how to get the most out of Google. If you enjoy the Genealogy Gems podcast, then you're going to love being a Genealogy Gems premium member. This is Tim Cox. I'm a premium member, and I have been for a while. just wanted to call and let you know that I really enjoyed being a premium member, and one of the perks I like about it is the videos. I learned how to build my own genealogy dashboard. The videos were called Google, a goldmine of genealogy gems, and because I made that dashboard, I'm able to monitor all the blogs and the websites that interest me, and I was able to create tabs. So each tab has different topics and just go to each one I want. This is like the best thing since sliced bread. So Lisa, thank you for what you're doing and I really do enjoy your podcast. 
To become a premium member, go to my website at genealogygyms.tv and click the Join Today button. And by entering the special coupon code SAVE20, that's S-A-V-E-2-0, you'll get 20% off the annual membership. Genealogy Gems Premium Membership. It's where you belong. And now back to my conversation with Marjorie Bell. You mentioned that this changed depending on which country you were in, which location you were in. So what kind of time span, to give us a big picture view of it, should we be aware that there's a chance, depending on the country that we're looking at, that we may be looking at a different date than we think we are? Started in 1582, and most of them had changed by the mid-1800s. Russia, 1917 and Greece 1923. So if you're doing research in another country, you have to be aware of what, you know, of that country and how they, whatever kind of dating they were using. You run into huge problems with dates in Asian countries, um, for instance. But in this country, you have to be aware of the double dating possibility and the old and new style from the late 1500s to 1752. And then you also have to realize that just like we may have trouble figuring out things now, um, you know, or we may write 2006 when it's already 2007, mm-hmm. they had the same problem then. So you might find a record. You should only find double dating from January 1st until March 25th. By March 25th, we're all on the same year again. And then we go to get, we go along all on the same year until January 1st again, and then some of us change and some don't. But sometimes you'll find a date written with the double date, and it'll be um, April. You think, what on earth are they doing? Well, they just forgot. They forgot that everybody was on the same page now. Exactly. So, uh, you know, and it happens. It just That's just human. We do the same thing now. But the biggest problem for you is the, the 1582 well, and since we didn't really start, you know, that early. So, but from the 1600s, Massachusetts, when they start their vital records, you're going to find double dating um, up until 1752. And most of the time, if you don't find double dating, then you're going to assume that we're still on the old calendar. If it doesn't say OS or NS, if it doesn't have the double dating, you're going to assume you're on the old calendar. That's a good thing to keep in mind. Good point. And when we find those double dates, they're like one date and a slash and another date. We, I assume we can always assume the first date is the old calendar and the second date is the new calendar. The new calendar, right. You've changed. Um, you can, in fact, um, you can see a sample of that if you go online at, uh, and look at the George Washington Family Bible with George Washington's birth date in it. Uh, and, and this is going to get even weirder because by the time we changed the calendar in 1752, we were 11 days off the normal calendar. So we had to drop 11 days out of our calendar. So in 1752, September 2nd was followed by September 14th. Wow. <laughs> now- off 11 days. Now you'll never, you'll never, that'll never affect your genealogy because um, you, they just didn't exist. A baby yes. was born either the 2nd of September or the 14th of September. But George Washington was actually born the 11th of February, 1731. 
And when we celebrate it, we celebrate it the 22nd of February, 1732, because they totally modernized his birthday and added 11 days to February 11th. Interesting. So we're, we're, ne- we're not going to be in the position of having to look at a date and, and somehow try to calculate that back into the correct date. It, if it's written in the new calendar, that is the correct date. Is that right? The correct date. Yeah. Okay. Because I know I've, I've talked to some folks and they're like, oh, I don't want to have to go and, you know, retranslate all my dates. And, and that's, yeah, exactly. Just, I wanted you to reemphasize that because, um, I certainly wouldn't want to send people out on that goose chase, but it's really understanding the, the day that you're looking at, right? Right. And, and you run into it in uh, weird places. Uh, last year I found a family name book on one of my lines. And it was beautifully done, and it cited the Providence, Rhode Island Vital Records. When I went to the Providence, Rhode Island Vital Records, I discovered that this genealogist was correct on everything in the family line and wrong on every single birthday. Because the Providence, Rhode Island Vital Records went by the number of the month. So it would be the second day of the third month of 1685. Well, the third month was May. But the genealogist doing this book went by March as the third month. But at that time period, you see, he was off by three months. So that can happen when you are transcribing a number, uh, a date that's written in number form, and you think you're being, you know, more complete and you're writing out the name of the month, and that's where the problem comes in, right? Because you've written down the wrong month. So that really makes, that kind of reinforces our whole concept of why it's so important to cite our sources, because I could imagine if you had gotten that information and you hadn't yet seen some of those records for yourself, you might not have realized, right? That's right. So the only way to know is to go to the source. Exactly. Go back and double check that source. Boy, that's a great point. And and that it affects so many years, so it can never hurt to double and triple check. (laughs) Oh, and the other thing that it answers... If any of you use the um, uh, FamilySearch.org, the LDS website for the International Genealogical Index, uh-huh. which has a lot of records in it that have been extracted from original records, but many times you will come to a, a couple, and you will find them married. Not only you'll find them married in two separate towns on two separate dates, and you'll also find them married in the same town on two separate dates. Yes. Uh, one part is the actual marriage record that was probably listed in the original record with a number. Say the, the third month, the second day, you know, whatever year. So somebody has extracted that correctly, knowing what the third month was, and put it in to the international index as May. Because March is number one, so March, April, May. So a third month is May. Somebody else read that same original record, saw the third month, and put it in as March. So now you've got two different dates in the same town for the same record. And then the other problem is someone has extracted a marriage intention and never found a marriage record. And so they use the intention as the marriage date. And since the marriage was announced in both the home of the bride and the home of the groom for a couple of weeks before they were actually married, if you have an intention date, never followed by a marriage date, but you know the couple got married, 
then you may use that intention date as their marriage date. So you'll find that in the IGI, and it's actually probably telling you the home of the other person. But if you looked at the original record, one would be an intention, one would be the actual marriage record where they got married in the neighboring town, maybe the bride's house, and the first intention is at the groom's home, and then they settled in the groom's hometown and had their children. And so that intention of marriage was used as their marriage date. That's a great reminder that, you know, when we see we see those records and you think to yourself, well, the person looking at that original record, they couldn't have, you know, made that big of a mistake. But now we understand they could very honestly have made that kind of mistake, and we definitely want to go back and look at it. Yep. Great point. Wow, this is so... Um, it's so interesting, and it's and it's really interesting. I'm going to have some links on the website so people can learn some more of the details about the history and when the various um, countries made the change. But I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing this with us because it is so important for us to understand. And as always, I love having you on the show. You're a wealth of knowledge, and and I know that um, the folks have really enjoyed learning about this. You've kind of demystified it for us, so that's a really good thing. Thank you so much, Marjorie. Well, thank you. You're welcome. When I was growing up, Christmas was a time that my grandparents came to visit. My mom was always baking, and because I was the youngest, I would get to put the star on top of the tree. And now as a mom and a soon-to-be grandma, I love shopping for the perfect presents for my family. Online shopping makes that task so much easier because we literally have the world at our computer. This year, you can get your shopping done, have the gifts delivered to your door, and support this free genealogy podcast all at the same time. If you enjoy these free shows and you'd like to help me cover the costs of bringing them to you each week, there's a really easy way that you can do that that won't cost you a thing. Here's how it works. Let's say that you need to get something at Amazon.com, one of my favorite places to shop. Go to my website at genealogygems.tv and click the Amazon link or use the Amazon search box. And no matter what you buy, you financially support the show. The price you pay is exactly the same, but Genealogy Gems receives a small percentage for referring you. It's just that simple. And if you're going to be loading up your iPod or the iPod of someone you love this Christmas, just click any iTunes link on my website. And again, your purchases will help make this podcast possible at no additional charge to you. So if you enjoy the Genealogy Gems podcast and family history, genealogy made easy. Let your mouse do the shopping through the ads and links on the Genealogy Gems website at genealogygems.tv. And together, we'll keep new episodes coming for a long, long time. Well, before we finish up today's episode, I wanted to um, bring some listener mail to the forefront. Got an email here from Don in Oklahoma. And Don writes, Lisa, I found the Family History Podcast when it was just about a month old and have been subscribed to RSS ever since. I've been listening to Genealogy Gems as well. I've dabbled in trying to find my family history for several years, but never took a course or even talked to anyone for guidance. So I may have some serious editing to do in my tree. 
When faced with the question of what last name to use for the women in my tree, I chose to enter their maiden names, not their married ones. Is that a mistake? I ask because I signed up for Ancestry.com's 14-day trial and uploaded a couple of generations to start a family tree online. When I got a shaking leaf on my paternal grandfather, I found a census record from 1920. I clicked on the button to see the people and found an uncle that apparently died in childhood since he doesn't appear in the 1930 census and would have been too young to leave home. But when I added everyone and went back to look at my grandfather's record, it showed him married to two women. One was using her married name, Van Buskirk, and the other one also using her married name, Garrison. Eventually I corrected it, but what should I be using? If just the married name, how will it look for her under her maiden name? Is there some place that I should enter both? Sorry for being so painfully elementary, but you gotta start somewhere. Don in Oklahoma. Well, Don, you're actually really right on track, and you're, this is a really good question for getting started. Um, women are always entered into the family tree with their maiden name. Um, that's because this is the name that they were born with. And when they are linked to a man in marriage, that in itself, that linkage in itself documents her married name. So when you see the two together, you know that they're, they're connected by marriage in the tree. Then you look at the man's surname to determine what her married name would have been. So it's understood that the surname of the man that they married is their married name. Now, I checked in with the Ancestry Insider, who writes the Ancestry Insider blog, and I uh, wanted to double-check with him because I wasn't absolutely positive about the shaking leaf. But he did say that when a woman is in a tree on Ancestry, um, Ancestry supposedly does a ranked search query using her maiden name plus the surnames of all of her husbands in order to add those shaking leaf clues that you find on your tree. So very likely, one of those shaking leaves may actually bring you a document that has um, the woman with her first name and her married name, even though you've got her listed with her maiden name on the tree itself. And the same technique works for any rank search, he said that you do. So you could enter several surnames or enter deviations of a given name, and you could get lots of different options. So go ahead and enter those women into the database uh, and on the trees with their maiden name. Show them as married to uh, the gentleman that they married, and that will indicate a married name that Ancestry can do a search on as well. So I hope that helps out. Thank you so much for writing in a great question. You know, that's the kind of thing you want to determine right up front before you get too far into it because you don't want to have to go back and change everything. So thanks so much for writing. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of the show. You'll find the show notes for this episode, which include all the links I've talked about at my website, genealogygems.com. And there you'll also discover a lot more tips and tools for finding your family history in my podcasts, the blog posts, books, and videos. Become a Genealogy Gems premium member, and you're also going to get access to exclusive content like my full-length video classes and the premium podcast episodes. We have a new one of those coming out every month. Now, if you have any questions about this episode, or if you'd like to share your experiences on how the podcast has impacted your own family history journey, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 925-272-4021 and we might just play it here on the show. Thanks so much for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon.